Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, shalom, beautiful friends. It's wonderful to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to be with you and to learn together today. Uh, just a few uh, a brief announcements. One, um, we were, we're going to end 10 minutes early today, uh, just um, given uh, some, or some, uh, some scheduling. And uh, I'm sorry to share that we're going to take a, a number of weeks off of this uh, due to, to many scheduling conflicts. Uh, BBM is on the road and uh, in, in various cities. And so we will continue May 3rd. So I'm sorry that the month of April we will take off, uh, but we will continue May 3rd. So please make a note of that. And then we will be full force in our 40 pearls of, of wisdom on kindness. Um, but you will get an email reminder if, um, uh, if, if you didn't note that today. The other uh, introductory comment I wanna make is just a little bit of a trigger alert, a trigger alert because we all perhaps had very different relationships to parents. Some of us may have had wonderful, perfect relationships with parents. Some of us may have had very good, but sometimes strained. Some of us may have had no parents, biological parents. We were, may have been adopted or may have been fostered. Some of us may have uh, not had a father um, or, um, or had an abusive parent. And so um, while my assumption is here uh, um, uh, that there is for most of us, the good and the bad, the pretty and the ugly, um, I do want to just acknowledge that there's a whole range of experiences that come along with that, and we can feel free to dive into that or not. Um, so that's my little that's my little trigger alert. And um, before we jump in, I want to do a little poll. Let's do a little poll here to get a sense of who's here. Over the course of my life, I found honoring my parents to be number one, almost always easy. Number two, I generally found it easy with some harder patches. Number three, I don't think much about it. Number four, it has generally been difficult, but some joyful stages. And number five was one of the greatest challenges of my life. For some of you parenting, I mean, your parents may still be alive. You might be in deep relationship for others. Your parents may have passed many years ago. Um, so let's, uh, let's see the results on that. Okay, nobody said almost always easy. Very interesting. 
the high majority, not high majority, the majority, 56% said, I generally found it easy with some hard patches. No one said, I don't think about it. This is a key part of our lives, of course. And 33% said it has generally been difficult, but some joyful stages. And 11% said one of the great challenges of my life. Okay, so that is a very big range of what we have here in the room. And we're gonna bracket a little bit, although we can never fully bracket our relationship with our children, those of us who have children or grandchildren. Many of us are looking that direction rather than the previous direction. Um, but today we are focused not on how we are honored as parents necessarily, but how we did or do on our parents and not just on the personal realm, but the conceptual realm. Before that, a little joke. A, a mother brings her son two, two new ties as a birthday gift for her adult son. Later in the evening, the two meet for dinner and the son is wearing one of the ties. His mother takes a look at him and says, you don't like the other tie? <laughs> so in fact, even cute things like a, a gift of a tie can sometimes be, uh, you know, triggering moments. So friends, our parents um, uh, didn't do enough for us. Um, our, our tradition teaches us that we all feel forsaken. We feel forsaken by the gaps in what our parents provided us. Nonetheless, let's think for a moment about what our parents did for us through a little story. A little boy was struggling to lift a heavy stone, but could not budge it. The boy's father, who happened to be watching, said to his son, are you using all your strength? Yes, I am, the boy said with irritation. No, you're not, the father answered. You have not asked me to help you. And so sometimes when we think of our strength as kids, we want to show how strong we are. I'm a strong boy. I'm a strong girl, right? But I, and that means independent. But actually a part of our strength comes from uh, the strength of those around us who help to lift us up. And of course, no one plays that role early on more than parents. You know, uh, how many of y'all went to Jane Goodall when she was here a few years ago? Cheryl, I know you were there. Um, Jane Goodall was here. And one of the, one of the things, there were uh, many things jumped out to me, but two of the things that she shared, she's one of my great heroes. Um, two things that I, I recall very clearly. One, she said, we haven't inherited the land from our parents. We've stolen it from our children. And I think that's an important uh, point around environmentalism, but also just around how we think about inheritance in general um, and what we've given, what we've taken. Are we gonna give to our children as much or more as we took from our parents? But something else she shared, she said perhaps the most touching part of, of, of her life journey was when she was asked um, if she was scared to move as a very young woman into a tent in the jungle and sleep in the jungle with leopards, gorillas, centipedes, and snakes, unaware of how to study the animal kingdom as a young woman, let alone how to survive in the jungle. She said the only reason she wasn't terrified was because her mother came with her to protect her. Um, and, and I think about that, how one of the greatest leaders in the uh, conservation, preservation, welfare world uh, points to this formative experience of her fear entering the jungle and her mother being with her. And so um, it ought to be clear, many of us may feel an enormous debt to parents based upon the countless things they gave. Others might feel like they can count less positive things, but they can still count life. Um, and, um, and when we, sometimes it takes losing a parent to realize some of the role they played for us and, um, and how the community is with us. Our friend Austin, who does our homeless outreach work, he talked about how he was out in the streets recently and um, 
and how he had just lost his uncle and, and some of the homeless friends asked him how he was doing. And when Austin let dozens of folks in the homeless camps know that he wouldn't be around for a few days to help because he needed to travel to the funeral, they immediately, these homeless folks in the zone, immediately organized themselves and they went to their tents and they grabbed their cherished their cherished personal belongings among the very few belongings they owned. And they brought them as a gift for our friend Austin to give his father to bring him comfort. And they said, Austin, you're our family to us here in the streets. So your family, your father is family to us too. We wanna leave these things to him. And that's an extraordinary thing about how our relationship to parents is in some ways very personal, but in many ways is also kind of communal. That's the Shiva. We welcome people in our home when our parents, when our parents pass. One more story, then we're gonna jump into the nitty gritty of the text. I saw this uh, story just a few years ago and I was very moved by it. Uh, a young black woman, um, I'm sure we're all thinking about uh, the role of black women in America today, given the Supreme Court uh, justice uh, confirmation hearings. Uh, this young black woman named Chastity, her father died. She continued to text her father every morning and night to update him on her life. She longed for his support and loving presence in her life as it once had been. Then on the fourth anniversary of her father's death, she texted him one last time, recapping everything he had missed over the last four years, how she had overcome cancer as a very young woman and how she had graduated college on her own with student loans. But to her shock, she received a text reply. Hi, sweetheart, I'm not your father, but I've been getting all of your messages for the past four years. I look forward to your morning messages and nightly updates. My name is Brad and I lost my daughter in a car wreck when you lost your father and your messages have kept me alive. When you text me, I know it's a message from God. And so friends, I was very moved by that story that sometimes for those of us who were disconnected from parents or whose parents have died, in some way, um, there's a miraculous, um, there's something miraculous about trying to keep their memory alive, trying to communicate, trying to pass, pass forward, pass on that, um, that relationship. And sometime in preserving it, we can preserve other relationships as well. Okay, friends, we're gonna jump into the text. That was a long-winded uh, intro of stories, um, but I, this is just a heavy topic. When Again, when we think of kindness, we think of giving someone a seat, holding a door, like, like give it, sending someone a nice message, saying something polite, all those things are great, but we're getting into the deeper, harder stuff. Last week, we talked about visiting the sick and how important that is, Beaker Holding. This week, we're talking about honoring parents. Now, I wanna be clear that, um, Every one of these aspects of kindness is always relevant to us. Honoring our parents, it may be our parents are alive and we're able to do this. And if they're not, um, then there are other ways to kind of think about this and work towards this as we relate towards honoring people. Okay, friends, the Torah, as we all know, commands us to both honor our father and mother and revere them, two different ideas from uh, Exodus and from Leviticus. While at first glance, the two verses cited seem to be identical, there are several significant differences between them. In the first, we are most familiar with 
as it is found in the Ten Commandments. We are told, Honor your father and mother. That's generally how we quote it. We don't quote revere them. We quote honor. In the second, we find, A man should revere, a person should revere their father and mother. Notice the switch in the order here. Regarding honor, the father is written first. Regarding reverence, it is the mother who is mentioned first. The Talmud explains that a child, perhaps an adult child as well, would be more inclined to show honor displaying acts of love to one's mother, the more loving parent historically or stereotypically. Therefore, the father is placed first to indicate that he is of equal, not lesser importance when it comes to honor. The converse is true regarding reverence. One would be more inclined to revere one's father, and therefore the mother is placed first. As the two different verses essentially convey the same command, the Talmud further focuses on the differences between the two actions describing how one must treat their parents. Kibud, or honor, refers to what one must proactively do for one's parents, serve them and take care of them. Yira, reverence, refers to what one must refrain from doing or saying to one's parents, such as traditionally not sitting in a parent's chair. I know in contemporary times that doesn't resonate as much for us, not sitting in a parent's chair, but that was a, that, that was a very much a traditional idea, that a parent has a place that we don't touch. Another example recorded in the Talmud is for a child to simply not respond if a parent goes so far as to throw his wallet into the river. <laughs> While very difficult for a child to not react in such a situation, this example of the Talmud just does make it clear to us the value we must all strive to place on reverence for parents. Regarding not sitting in a parent's chair, a beautiful thought is shared in the name of Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik. Upon taking leave of a house of mourning, a shiva house, one traditionally recites, May the omnipresent one comfort you among all the mourners of Sion v'yushalayim. Rav Soloveitchik suggests that the reference to God as hamakom, right, this beautiful word for God, hamakom, the place. God is called in a shiva house, the place. At this juncture, calls to mind the command to not sit in one's parents' Makom, to not sit in the parent's place. He explains that this is true while a parent is alive. As long as a parent is living, it's forbidden to sit in their seat. But once the parent passes away, a role reversal takes place, and the child is now obligated to, metaphorically, sit in that very place. In other words, what we are conveying to the mourner is that you now have an opportunity to take your parent's place to continue their holy work as they are no longer able to do so. As one leaves the mourner's home, he or she expresses to the mourner that hopefully this opportunity and charge, thereby ensuring that the parent lives on, will bring the mourner some comfort. The Talmud in Ketubot extends honoring one's parents to step-parents and older siblings, right? We might not have thought so. Your father gets remarried. Your mother gets remarried. I don't like them. I mean, whoever likes them, right? I, I mean, some people like them. But generally, there's a, there's a strained relationship with a step-parent. Um, and interesting enough, the idea of honoring one's parent extending to older siblings. That's not a commonly known idea, as, as is found uh, here in the halakha. 
the Rambam explains that honoring these three individuals, stepmother, stepfather, older sibling, is not an end in itself, but rather a means toward honoring one's father and mother. Putting it another way, honoring one's sibling leads to honoring one's parents. Honoring a step-parents could have the same effect. So it seems that if one's mother was no longer living, for example, one would no longer be commanded to honor her husband. This often plays out. Oh, my mother passed away. Do I have to keep a relationship with her ex? Well, not her ex, her widow, her, her widow, her, her widower. What do you call it? What do you, widower, right? Yeah, widower. Um, uh, her widower. And uh, the easy answer is no. While she is alive, honoring her husband is honoring her. But once she has passed, you don't need to maintain a relationship with that person. What are we trying to achieve by honoring our parents ultimately? According to Rambam, it's a mitzvah ben adam lechavero. Obviously, right? A command between people. It's about ethics. It's about proper moral conduct. But according to the Ramban, Nachmanides, and Rabbeinu Bechaya, it is a mitzvah ben adam lemakom. It's not between people. It's between us and God. Parents partner with God in creating a child. And we honor God by honoring our uh, other partners in creation. It is perhaps for this reason that while the first five of the Aserita Debrot, the first five Ten Commandments, deal with mitzvot ben adam lemakom, think, adult, uh, excuse me, idolatry, there's only one God, uh, keep Shabbat, right? That why is this number five? Because it's between us and God. And the last five mitzvot are uh, ben adam lechavero. Think about it, stealing, adultery, um, um, you know, um, what else is over there? <laughs> um, stealing, adultery, uh, you know, um, what's it called? Coveting, um, you know, bearing false witness. So the first five are between us and God. The second five are ethical. That's how it's typically broken up. And the fifth being in the first five is honoring parents. So that fits in with their reasoning. Kibud Ava Aim then is perhaps to be viewed, be viewed both as man to man and man to God. A different argument for why honoring parents is a mitzvah ben adam lamakom is offered by Rabbi Meir Simcha Hakon of Dvinsk, based on the halakha that if a parent asks their child to violate a command of the Torah, the child should obey the Torah and not their parents. He argues that since honoring parents is about honoring God, it certainly cannot contradict or override honoring God. So, right, this is the case. What do I do? The Torah says, don't do this ethical wrong. And my parents say, do this for me. We choose Torah over honoring parents, right? A convert traditionally is considered a newborn child with a fresh start. And oftentimes that means that they are, they are viewed not as the children of their parents anymore from a strict interpretation. Of course, that's a very complicated idea. Um, but so the question emerges, must a convert honor their non-Jewish biological parents, given that they are no longer from a traditional perspective, their parents, they're now the children of Avraham Avinu and Sarah Imenu. The Shulchan Aruch teaches that a convert is not permitted to shame or curse their parents, lest one say that conversion leads to a lowering of moral standards. This ought to be obvious in and of itself, even absent the reasoning of the Shulchan Aruch, since religious transformation should increase our moral responsibility rather than let us off the hook. And little should change about our gratitude toward our parents and for all they have given us. It is well known that millions of elderly Americans are neglected at their most vulnerable time. Jewish law, however, requires multiple times and multiple ways that we honor our parents. 
How does the United States, which has traditionally been reluctant in implementing social welfare policies taken for granted in Europe, compare with the rest of the industrial world? Currently, nearly 10 million adults ages 50 or older care for elderly parents in America with little governmental assistance. The number has tripled in 15 years. So now about one in four adult children provide personal or financial care for their parents. A study conducted by a group of insurance, caregiving and policy think tanks concluded that taking into account wages, social security and pension money, the average adult who becomes a caregiver for an aging parent spends nearly $304,000. In addition, caregivers undergo tremendous stress and suffer higher rates of cardiovascular disease and alcohol abuse, among other illnesses. On top of this, Social Security Benefits America do not increase when personal care costs rise, as they do in some European nations. One bright spot is that many adults can now take up to 12 weeks off from work to care for an ill parent or any other family member without losing their job under the Family and Medical Leave Act of 1993. Thank you, President Bill Clinton. Is that Clinton? Clinton was 92 to 2000, right? Thank you, President Bill Clinton. I don't know if he gets all the credit, but unfortunately, this does not go far enough because this leave is without pay and therefore an unaffordable option for nearly all working Americans. Medicare may help for some short-term care, but Medicaid can cover expenses for those with inadequate resources. Although these are de dependent on individual state requirements, which are constantly under attack today. Currently, as the Medicare website notes, private funds are used for elder care. About half of all nursing home, nursing home residents pay nursing home costs out of their own savings. After these savings and other resources are spent, many people who stay in nursing homes for long periods eventually become eligible for Medicaid. In other words, if you want nursing care as an elderly person, be prepared to lose all your resources first. Other programs such as Meals on Wheels are, are also dependent on state funding with some federal aid that is also under attack. And we cannot assume that it will continue as in the current atmosphere of austerity. Other uh, options usually rely on independent insurance or health plans that require additional payments. While the United States rem remains a wealthy nation and many can afford their own care, we should heed Jewish law and truly honor our parents. The rabbis tell a story which is codified in Halakha. They inquired of Rav Ula, how far does honoring dignifying parents extend? He said to them, go out and see what one non-Jew did in Ashkelon. His name was Dama ben Natina. Once the sages sought merchandise for a price of 60 myriads, but the key was resting under his father's head and he did not disturb him. When Rav Dimi came, he said, once he was wearing a gold diadem and sitting among the greats of Rome, when his mother came and tore it off him, and hit him over the head and spit in his face, but he did not humiliate her. So interesting, um, interesting, a few interesting things. One is that Jews have never had a problem, I shouldn't say never, Jews have traditionally not had a problem learning from Gentiles. That here we see, how are they learning of Kavot, uh, 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 how are they learning Kibbut Ava'im, honoring parents? They say, go out and learn what this non-Jew did, uh, Dama ben Natina. And they're not saying, look at this great rabbi, look at our teacher. They're saying, oh, there's this Gentile who lives in our community. And look at what he did. Let's learn from him. So that's a great religious lesson that we should not only learn from people in our own religion, 
but from people of all faiths and backgrounds. The other thing that's interesting here is that these, what the examples are not assays, things we should do for our parents, but lota assays, things we should not do. And the first is gezel shena. People don't realize there is a prohibition in Jewish law around stealing sleep. It's called gezel shena, right? We cannot steal people's sleep. And that one of those cases we saw, we saw here, um, that there is this case here where this guy can, has a rare opportunity to sell something, but it is under his father's head and he can't wake up his father to get that thing to sell, right? And so we should think about that when someone is sleeping and how we honor their sleep because of how important sleep is for rest, how important it is spiritually for our minds um, and, um, and how startling it is to be, to be woken. Um, in any case, and then, and then we see the second case here about Rav Dimi around this case of sometimes we think, oh, my parent wronged me, so I don't need to honor them, right? But actually, um, and of course, there are cases where uh, Kibbut aim would be limited or canceled if, with, with a, a severely abusive parent. But bracketing that, this case in, in a state of rage where his mother shames him and um, hits him over the head and spits in his face, even in that case, he does not humiliate her in response. Um, and and uh, they ask us to learn from this. So even when mistreated or shamed by a parent, many demands to honor parents still remain. But to be sure, as mentioned, there are limits. It says in the Shulchan Aruch, and here we're gonna conclude after this and open the conversation. One whose mother or father breaks down mentally, he must make the effort to behave with them in accordance with their condition until God has mercy on them. But if it is not possible for him to stand it, because they have become so greatly insane, he may go and leave them behind, so long as he commands others to treat them properly. Now, that may feel difficult. Someone is, has, is, uh, um, is uh, in a severe state of dementia, right? And it's so painful for the adult child or young child to engage with them that they may, according to the Shulchan Aruch, abandon them. Now, not fully abandon them. They have to make sure their, their basic needs are met. But if, if that parent doesn't know who they are anyways, and they're causing pain to that child, that child may protect themselves, the Shulchan Aruch says, by having their basic needs met, but by creating emotional distance uh, to not having to consistently be in their life. Because it's very difficult if you've had a parent like that who doesn't know who you are anymore or who mistreats you uh, in, in that state to uh, consistently show up. Okay, Jewish law wisely and prophetically notes the mental and physical strain that an elderly parent with Alzheimer's or dementia can have on family. However, the law also mandates that we provide some degree of proper care for them. We should not force families to go into bankruptcy in order to avoid placing their parents in virtual warehouses where their parents will be neglected and mistreated. The thing is that this is not only an ossified, unrealistic demand based on an idealized or no longer extant religious society. We see models for contemporary implementation around the world today. Our parents sacrificed so much for our well-being throughout their lives when we were not able to fend for ourselves. And as a society, we must recognize this and provide for them when they too are no longer physically uh, independent themselves. Okay, friends, um, we have 23 minutes here together to unpack some of this together. So I would love to, um, I would love to hear from you. Hi, yes, Lauren. Hi, it's more questions. So um, the one question is, what what is the halakhic requirement? What's what? How far do you have to go? <clears throat> the other is, if a if a child has been physically abused or emotionally abused by a parent, 
how far do you have to go in showing them honor? And are you allowed to tell other people about your abuse? Or is that considered to be disrespectful of them? Great, great. Thank you for that. A lot of big questions. I'm going to post in the chat here an article by Rabbi Dove Linzer. Uh, everyone see that? Um, and if you're not here in the room right now where you can't see that, then you yeah. can just Google it. Must a person honor and mourn for an abusive parent? And I, um, I will just read from his conclusion here. Honoring one's parents is a weighty biblical mitzvah, but there are other things that matter more. Taking care of one's health and well-being is one of them. Therefore, if the mitzvah creates great distress, one should see a therapist and work out what's best for them to manage this distress. And so one should never easily or flippantly throw off this amazingly powerful mitzvah, which as we saw is not only an ethical one, but also a religious one between us and God. Um, however, one has to take their own mental health and physical health very seriously, and one on their own financial stability very seriously. And there are serious limits to what one is asked to do. Um, it, all the more so when the abuse is still real. If 30 years ago, this parent was abusive and is no longer abusive. That is one category of conversation. The other category is when the parent is still abusive, physically, verbally, emotionally, and being in their presence. And the, so the first invokes the memories and the trauma of that earlier experience. The second means it's not only invoking those earlier experiences, it is also still, it is, it's not only just an open wound from the past, it is, it is a constantly continue, continuous, uh, 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 a continuous reopening of that wound or, or inflicting of new wounds. And so that is an, indeed very serious. And to be sure there are cases where um, we, we would never kind of say the mitzvah is canceled, but we would say the weight of other concerns overrides the concern of the fulfillment of that mitzvah or limits it in, in some significant ways. Um, there's other new re factors in our reality today. And one of the biggest factors, which we think we take for granted today, but is really a recent, very recent phenomenon in the history of the world, is the transience of people. Most children, I, I can't say most, I think it's most, but I don't know empirically if it's true. Many children don't live in the same city as their parents anymore. Um, and that makes, um, that makes the consistency a, a new challenge. What do you do if your elderly parent lives in a different city and how we care for them? Uh, when you can't make them soup, you can't just drop in. Yes, you can make a phone call or the like. Also, what do you do if you're not rich? If you're rich, you can pay for all the needs of your of your of your elderly parents and through through types of care. If you're not rich, you can't cover all those expenses. Maybe some, maybe none. And to be clear, that the halakha never stated that we should go into financial duress or strain ourselves. Uh, people think that that honoring honor father and mother means break your bank to take care of them, but it doesn't mean that. Um, and so obviously there are requirements there, but really uh, it's a mixture of assays and low assays, things to do and things not to do um, that, that enables us to preserve their honor and um, take care of their basic needs. This came up a lot around political polarization. In some cases, in some cases, let's take the most typical case. One had a parent who became diehard Trump and the child was liberal and they didn't want to go to Thanksgiving. I'm not going to Thanksgiving. Do I have, Rabbi, do I have to go to Thanksgiving? Right? Um, this was like, this was like, I got this question like a billion times. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be at Thanksgiving and my spouse doesn't want to be there. My spouse is offended by what my parents says. Right? 
you know, perhaps it goes the other way too. I, I, I didn't get those questions, uh, but perhaps there's children who were diehard Trump supporters and the parent was liberal and the parent said, do I have to go to Thanksgiving or the opposite? So in any case, or it came up with COVID too, right? Um, I am elderly and my child is not COVID cautious or uh, I'm COVID cautious. My parent is not. Do I have to visit them? Right? Do I have to be, right? So the, these last two years, few years have been really strained politically and with the public health protocol um, and, and uh, other factors, other people who consider making Aliyah, they wanna move to Israel, but they say, can I leave my parents? Like, how can I move across the world when my parent is gonna be you know, back home? I mean, this is, so there are, there are, very, uh, there are very real questions here. Um, and to be sure, just a whole range of answers. And uh, one of the great things here is that um, is this is one of the cases where it, there's so much subjectivity and relativity in how we understand kibbutz ava aim. Why? Because how do you love someone? There's no rules. You have to know the person. You have to know someone to show them love and know what kind of love they need. So to how do you honor a parent? There's no rule book. Okay, so we're going to say things like when they ask you for juice, bring them juice, right? Um, when th they have a chair, don't sit in their chair, right? We're going to say things like that, you know, take care of their burial, you know, sit shiva, say Kaddish. We're going to say things like that. But how does this parent want to be honored? You have to know them. What honors them? Is it time with them? Is it compliments? Is it inviting them over? You have to know them. Eileen, I see you've unmuted. Um, yeah, it, a couple of things occurred to me. One, that you need to... Um, remain healthy yourself, which means you cannot give up everything for somebody else. And honoring a parent, it would seem to me to be more important to honor them while they're alive than when they're dead. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for that. Yes, exactly. Many people take honor much more seriously at death. Oh, I'm going to say Kaddish. I'm going to donate in their memory. I'm going to I'm going to create a plaque, but you're, I think you're exactly right that honor is not, um, uh, there's a part of it that's for us, that we are people who live with honor. It's a virtue to live with honor, but most importantly, it's about them and, 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 give, and showing them that honor. Yeah, yeah. So how do I know after I'm dead, what my kids are going to do in the way of honoring me? I would much prefer that they show me who they are and what they love and what they uh, want to do before I die. Yeah, great. And, and I would encourage us to communicate with children about the honor we want and need. Because like every human being, kids have blind spots, you know, about like, like, okay, so for some of us, we can be, we can be Michael our kavod, as we say, we Michael our kavod. We can say, okay, I, I don't need that honor. You can sit in my chair. Like, you don't need to like make a big deal. Like, ah, I don't need it. But other areas of our life, the honor is real. Like, like I, we can say to someone like, look, it really means a lot when you call me once a week. Please don't go a week without calling me, right? Or like, um, you know, I want you to know, like, I, I need a birthday present. I don't know. Like, we all have our own things. Like, we need <laughs> or I want you to know, like, I don't want you to speak down to me in front of your children. Like, I want my grandchildren not to experience that. Like, it's important to really communicate that kind of honor, that kind of honor we need. Uh, so Eileen, yeah, thank you, thank you for that. Um, I was going to say one other thing based on what you said, and then, and then I see Reb Dove, and then I see Cheryl, and then I see Matthew, um, which is which is uh, this. Here's a very common question I get, and, and Rabbi Lerner, perhaps you've gotten this many times as well. 
when there's a conflict between my spouse and my parent, who wins? Who wins when there's a conflict between my spouse and my parent? So this is very interesting. Religiously, the, you would think the parent wins. There is no mitzvah to honor your spouse. I mean, I, you know, on a biblical level, there's no mitzvah. To, it doesn't say honor your spouse, right? Obviously, we have we have rabbinic obligations we've committed to in the ketubah um, in terms of honoring our spouse. But we don't have to honor our spouse. I mean, it's a nice idea if you want to keep a marriage is to honor your spouse, right? But honor your parents seemingly outweighs it. And yet on a pastoral level, I would normally advise someone to side with their spouse over their parents. It is very important that if your spouse is being mistreated by uh, your parents or there's a conflict there, you work it out. You don't just take a side, but you really need to stand in the corner with your partner. Um, yes, Eileen, were you gonna respond to that? Yeah, didn't you sign a ketubah, which is a contract? And in the contract, doesn't it say you have responsibilities to your spouse? And because you're with your spouse 24 seven, it logically seems to me if there's a disagreement between your parents and your spouse to have a beneficial home life, you better be on the side of your spouse. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, this, this is a very difficult matter. It comes up all the time. I mean, I, you know, um, and to be sure sometimes um, our, our partner may uh, be unfair to parents um, and we need to kind of work through that too. Yeah. Um, they, they're creating too much distance. They're overly critical of their in-laws. You know, um, they, they don't show proper respect. I mean, a whole range of things that we see all the time. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I think that uh, uh, this, is a, this, is a, this is something for us to be mindful of. And of course, as, as parents of children who have been married, we want to think carefully about their boundaries um, in that regard as well. So yes, Rabbi Lerner. Uh, first of all, I agree with Eileen, a happy wife, long life. <laughs> um, and, and I think that this is an incredibly important topic. I, I welcome it. Uh, I don't want to speechify. The other element you touched on, I think, is equally important. Eileen mentioned it, maybe you as well, in several ways. The honoring of parents, maybe a form of reverence, is when you behave as they do so that people recognize he comes from a good family. Very nice. Rabbi Lerner, that's so powerful. Um, th that's so powerful because what Rabbi Lerner is teaching us is that one of the best way to honor parents is to be a mensch in the world. That when we live lives of virtue, that gives nachas to parents. Um, perhaps anything more than we even do for them directly, uh, that just by living those virtues, I, um, yeah. And so thank you. Th thank you for that. And so um, indeed, we, we, we oftentimes think of this honor as things we do for them, but actually being our best in the world. And actually, that's one of the most commonly forgotten forms of mourning uh, that I think we forget. What do we normally think of in terms of honoring our parents in mourning? We think of Kaddish. We think of lighting a yard site candle. We think of donating tzedakah in their honor. We think of doing learning in their memory, like Mishnayis or the like. But I think the fifth we most commonly forget is take their virtues and live them more deeply in the world. And by, by living those virtues in the world, we are keeping them alive in a sense. We are honoring their memory by carrying that forth. Yes, yeah, Cheryl. Uh, okay. <laughs> um... First of all, what if your parent isn't a mensch? 
that, you know, um, and then second of all, this goes, this is such a pertinent thing for me personally. My 95 year old father just announced on Friday that he was ready to move into, you know, get out of the condo that he's been living in since 1983 and, you know, move to some place where somebody will take care of him. Now I live in Arizona and he lives in Philadelphia. And so I will take that business about um, honoring your older sibling and reverse it that my sister, my younger younger sister has been uh, the one, you know, merely 12 miles away, not 2,500 miles away and does all of the things. Um, I have to say that it's been an interesting couple of years, COVID related, and also for her anxiety, so much of the stuff, I'm gonna have her watch this, this, um, this session, because I feel like I need to do for her as much as I need to do for him. I didn't really have much of a relationship with him, but over the years, in these past two years, I've tried to take some of the pressure off her. And what can I do? I can call him every day and talk to him. I mean, he he doesn't believe in picking up the phone. <laughs> you know, if you don't call him, you're not going to talk to him. So, um, you know, uh, that's kind of um, where my honoring comes in. But it's, uh, you know, suddenly I, I feel, suddenly I feel extremely stressed because now I can do some of the things here to prepare for his moving that, you know, the things that I can do remotely, but this is uh, such an important uh, class for me today and lessons for me today. And I thank you. Thank you so much for that personal sharing, uh, Cheryl. It's so powerful. And I won't respond to your details. Um, and although I'm always here as a friend uh, <laughs> to, to discuss, um, but just reflecting uh, briefly, and I know our friend Gary here, uh, you know, um, is, you know, has had some personal things going on as well, as well as others around family. And so, um, as we all do, I mean, we all do this, this I'm sure this touches home for all of us. Um, there was Kwame, and it's a good reminder in the New York times, uh, this last Sunday, there there's, uh, in the magazine, there's, there's always, um, uh, questions for the ethicist. Uh, and an ethicist who I don't always agree with, but who I respect, his name is Kwame Anthony Apia. He is a Ghanaian British uh, moral philosopher at, um, at Columbia. And he's someone who has influenced me a lot. And I've interviewed him a few times and um, uh, he's a fascinating figure, but he writes about this point around, um, around when, when one child abandoned, completely abandons the need to honor parents in their later years and how the other sibling experiences it and the weight on them. And I would add to that, that tragically, one of the things we see often at deathbeds right after the passing of a parent is an explosion among children, among guilt and anger and resentment, things that have to do with inheritance, things that have to do with who did what for the person who was dying and who didn't. An explosion of emotions emerge at following one's death oftentimes. And unfortunately, it leads to sibling fights. Um, and so- Unfortunately, it also occurs at the funeral home. <laughs> yes, at the funeral home. Yes, I'm sure you have countless stories you can share about oh. that. And so it's unfortunate that at, at such a stressful time, uh, those things also emerge to exacerbate the intensity of the situation, but it is quite common. And so I do think looking back at that halakha around honoring a sibling, I think this touches on this idea of who, um, that usually one has uh, carries a heavier burden around caring for a parent either financially a heavier burden or physical care a heavier burden? And how do we care for the caregiver? 
which is always an important thing to think about. How do we take care of a caregiver? So it's a very powerful uh, reminder to, uh, 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 that you brought in Cheryl here of how the, the sibling dynamic is connected with the, that parental dynamic at, at that time of life. Um, so thank you. Eddie, I, I think you were going to jump in. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for this class, Rabbi Shmuley. And I think it's definitely triggering for a lot of us. Um, what um, maybe coming from a different culture and what I've seen uh, for a lot of us in the Mexican uh, Hispanic culture, honoring our parents is to get um, from the, the majority of what um, I've lived through. Um, and especially like with our grandparents and our ancestors, the way we honor them is um, actually by uh, having them have a sense of need like by um, having our parents feel like they're needed still in our family, it gives them honor. Um, so it's it's considered disrespectful not to have your like your grandparents or your mom cook for you and your family or like take caring, uh, taking care of your of your your children and your kids. It's also hugely disrespectful and dishonorable to put your your parents or your grandparents in nursing homes in my culture, it's it's considered super, super disrespectful. And it's considered a tarnish in your um, in your family to do that. Um, because we believe that to honor them, you you must um, get have them stay in your family and have them have a need for them to be in your family. Um, because for us, uh, there's a, a huge need of, of keeping the memory alive of the person. So that's why you commonly see a lot of our families they, you, you'll see the entire lineages in one household because that's how we honor our siblings and our family members and our, our ancestors. Um, I, I also feel uh, the, 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 the stress within having a parent who, um, you know, I don't know if the word deserves is the right word or I, I guess more challenging to give them honor when they have caused so much trauma and pain. And uh, having a sibling myself, and after I left, I could see how that shifted to them, uh, and it's very painful to see. So it's 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 such a um, it, it's such a polarizing thing to to look inwards into ourselves and and look into this. Like, how do we honor somebody that hurts us? Um, because we also have that biological tendency to love them, but we also know that there's that hurtness that comes from the trauma they caused us. Thank you, Eddie. Did I see Pam? You were gonna add. You want to add on to that? I was going to say that Eddie and I come from similar background um, and in the sense of he's Hispanic and I'm Indian, so um, brown backgrounds. And the idea of multi-generational households, like it's very um, common in that you, you grow up with people and your grandparents and you invite them back in. Um, but there's also a second layering in this generation where I am the daughter of immigrants. So they brought me to a different culture and I've had to embrace both cultures. I'm actually possibly a little more American sometimes than I'm Indian. And so having to understand what that looks like and then what that looks like for the next generation and how do you, how do you juggle all of that? And while I have a fantastic relationship with my parents, I'm really lucky for that. That has been a lot of um, kind of a pushback over the years because I'm embracing who I am and then who do I embrace for the next generation while still honoring them in the sense of caring over their values and everything that they've taught me up until now. Very, pow very powerful sharings there. So I do have a concluding thought or two, but I want to see if there's anyone we didn't hear from yet who also wanted to jump in before we do. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie and Pam. So just a few, a few uh, concluding thoughts and then a story I want to share as well. Um, the, uh, the obvious reminder that the best way we teach our children on how to honor us is by how they observe how we have honored our own parents. I, I've also observed 
that, and tell me if this is your observation as well. Again, I don't have empirical data on this. That my sense is that the trend used to be that children and grandchildren visited their parent and grandparent. And the trend now is that grandparents visit their kids. Of course, that's not exclusive. Uh, there's lots of exceptions to that. But tell me if that resonates for you as well. Um, that that when a parent and child live in different cities, there's almost a greater expectation that the grandparent visit than and and it used to be the opposite. Is that does that resonate for you or no? What what exactly do you mean? Oh, okay. So like if a grandparent lives here in Scottsdale and their kids live in three Chicago. other cities around the country. Um, that instead of the, the older trending, those kids flying in to visit consistently, the trend is for that grandparent to go out and visit. Is that is that resonate for you as accurate? For me, yes, because it would be five plane fares. It would be extremely expensive for them to come here and they have school and work schedules. Well, I'm retired, so I can take off whenever I want. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, I was going to say the same thing that, you know, we go there because it fits into their schedule. And also the, the cost of plane fare is reduced in half, for example, in our case. But uh, is your observation we, that it used to be the opposite when you yes, were growing? Yes, well, I, I think I think not. not. I mean, we've lived here. Our children were all born here and our parents are, are back east. <laughs> so, um, you know, they started coming they they started coming to us we tried to go you know when they were when the kids were little but um as as the schedules schedules got more complicated and more demanding and our work was demanding it was just easier for them to come here okay so i'm going to conclude with this thought and i'm sorry we have to end a little early but everyone's familiar with plato's cave right plato's cave basically the idea is that there are people chained in the cave and they see shadows on the wall, which are actually people who are walking next to a bonfire, but they can't see behind them. And so they think the shadows on the wall are the reality. Then someone breaks free and they leave the cave and they see actually that there's a bonfire and there's real images, there's real people who are walking. Um, and actually the reality is not the shadow, the reality are the people. And um, he runs back into the people chained in the cave and tries to explain to him, no, 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 you're you're living in a world of illusion, a world of lies, right? You're just looking at a shadow you're not seeing. And they think he's crazy. And they say, you're crazy, like you're lying to us. You don't know what you're talking about. The shadows are the real. And so keep that story in mind. Um, and um, as I as I share this, this concluding, a little bit long-winded, but worth it, story from Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh was one of the greatest spiritual teachers of our generation who passed away just a few months ago, uh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And here's what he writes about in his book, The Art of Communicating. There's a well-known Vietnamese story about a young couple who suffered deeply because they didn't practice mindful communication. The husband went off to war and left his pregnant wife behind. Three years later, when he was released from the army, his wife came to the village gate to welcome him and brought along their little boy. It was the first time the man had seen his child. When the young couple saw each other, they could not hold back the tears of joy. They were so grateful that the young man had survived and come home. In Vietnam, there's a tradition that when an important event happens, we make an offering on an altar to our ancestors and tell them what has happened. The wife went to the market to buy flowers, fruits, and other provisions for an offering to place on the altar. The father stayed home with his son and tried to persuade the little boy to call him daddy. 
but the little boy refused. He said, mister, you aren't my daddy. My daddy is someone else. He used to come and visit us every night. Whenever he came, my mother would talk to him for a long time and cry and cry. When my mother sat down, the man sat down. When my mother lay down, he also lay down. So you are not my daddy. Hearing these words, the young father's heart turned to stone. He could no longer smile. He became silent. And when his wife returned, the man didn't look at her or speak to her anymore. He was very cold and he acted as though he despised her. She didn't respond why and she began to suffer deeply. After the ceremony to make an offering to the ancestors, it's traditional to take the offering from the altar and then the family sits down and enjoys the meal with happiness. But after the young man performed the offering, he didn't do this. He left the house, went into the village and spent his time in, in the liquor shop. He got drunk because he couldn't bear his suffering. When the husband came home, it was very late and he did the same thing every night. He never talked to his wife. He never looked at her. He never ate at home. The young lady suffered so much she couldn't bear it. And on the fourth day, she jumped into the river and drowned. The evening after the funeral, the young father and the boy came home. As the man lit the kerosene lamp, the little boy shouted, here is my father, and pointed to the shadow of his father on the wall. It turned out that the young man used to talk to her shadow, excuse me, the young woman used to talk to her shadow every night because she missed her husband so much. One day the little boy had said, everyone in the, in the village has a father. Why don't I have a father? In order to calm the little boy, she pointed to her shadow that night on the wall and said, there is your father. Of course, when she sat down, the shadow sat down too. Now the young father understood. His wrong perception had been wiped away, but it was too late. So friends, it's a tragic story about failed communication and the pain that comes with what not putting in the time to communicate. And yet it's also a reminder that there's two aspects to who our parents are. Our parents are the shadow on the wall and our parents are also flesh. And to some degree, we live with two realities, who our parent is and who we have perceived them to be. And that's a, that's a difficult reality for us to ultimately live with. And we have to decide, are we gonna stay in the cave and observe them as the shadows on the wall? Or will we ultimately step out of the cave to find their honor and our liberation as well? Wishing everyone a, a wonderful rest of your day. And I look forward to seeing you after our extended break together. We will continue all our VBM programs, but this particular program will continue on May 3rd. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Bait Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybaitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemadrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.